Can you give us a station ID? They'll kill me if I don't, I don't ask. I'd hate to see you killed. This is Steve Robinson, temporarily back on Earth, in Davis on KDVS 90.3. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We had a chance earlier this week, uh, courtesy of uh, Andy Fell over at the UC Davis News Service, to... um, Get on in the press conference they held before Steve Robinson's talk here at the Mondavi Center. We're going to excerpt a little bit for um, of that for you in segment number two. And I'm going to do the best I can to um, relate what went on in his talk. It was a very fascinating talk, particularly the visuals he brought with him of what it was like to be in a spacewalk, uh, fixing the shuttle, examining the shuttle as it orbits 200 miles above the Earth. Very interesting stuff. Stay tuned for that. All right, on this date in history, an item that is somewhat related to the upcoming holiday season, in 1854, December 8th, Pope Pius IX proclaimed the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. Now, this is something that confuses a lot of people. I know even uh, people that went to Catholic school may be a little bit confused about this. The Immaculate Conception is not the concept of the virgin birth. The Immaculate Conception as proclaimed in 1854, states that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was free from original sin from the moment she was conceived. And yes, original sin, that's what all of us allegedly harbor thanks to the transgression of Adam and Eve back in the Garden of Eden. Mr. McMillan, how about a little appropriate music? Step into that small confessional They're the guy who's got religion I'll tell you if your sin's original If it is, try playing it safer Drink the wine and chew the wafer Two, four, six, eight Time to transubstantiate So get down upon your knees Fiddle with your rosaries Bow your head with great respect And genuflect, genuflect, genuflect Make a cross And on this date 64 years ago, the American president made the following proclamation. Mr. Vice President, Mr. Speaker, members of the Senate and of the House of Representatives, yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Remember when we used to have presidents who could use words like infamy? When we used to have presidents who were honestly elected? And our quote for today's program comes from former FEMA director Michael Brown, who said, quote, I've overseen over 150 presidentially declared disasters. I know what I'm doing, and I think I do a pretty darn good job of it. 
And although it's clear that most Americans do not agree with Michael Brown's glowing uh, self-evaluation, he has now come out in the past two weeks and announced that he's setting up a consulting firm for how to deal with disasters. (laughs) I would just say, insert your own joke here. I'm not sure what's next. Elizabeth Taylor opening a uh, marriage counseling service? (laughs) I want to thank Mr. McMillan for inserting the appropriate laughter because I know out there at Radio Land, you guys are busting up at these, right? And speaking of laughter, we had a chance to see funny man George Carlin had his his appearance in uh, Sacramento earlier this week. And, uh, you know, George Carlin is an angry, depressed individual who says he doesn't care, then launches into attacking things, but obviously, if he didn't care, he wouldn't be bringing it up. It was kind of a thought-provoking show, but most of the folks there came to see comedy, and perhaps some thought-provoking. We much prefer the old George Carlin of uh, the Brain Droppings era, and and I think we'll make uh, the joke, or at least the the line of today's show, um, from that volume, where George pointed out that, don't make the same mistake twice, Seems to indicate three mistakes, doesn't it? First, you make the mistake. Then you make the same mistake. Then you make the same mistake twice. If you say simply, don't make the same mistake, you'll avoid the first mistake. All right, let's do, the, uh, let's do our good week for bad week for, shall we? According to The Week magazine, last week was a good week for love everlasting after scientists in India unearthed the first ever pair of copulating fossils. The two microscopic slime mold cells were discovered at the bottom of a 30-foot deep dry well where they were frozen in the act of love, which microbiologists call fusing from some 65 million years ago. The magazine judged it a bad week for shopping till you drop. After firefighters arriving to tackle a blaze at a smoke-filled Maryland convenience store were astonished to find shoppers still waiting on the checkout line. The store is on fire, a cashier said. Hello? And I guess we'll, we'll, we'll add this into the good week for bad week for, though it really came from the only in America file. Following item. The mayor of Las Vegas is calling for the public amputation of graffiti artists' thumbs. In the old days in France, they beheaded people who commit heinous crimes, said Mayor Oscar Goodman, complaining that punks are defacing new highway walls in the city's downtown. I'm saying maybe you put them on TV and cut off a thumb. That may be the right thing to do. Earlier this year, Goodman made national headlines by calling for legalized prostitution in his city and telling a fourth grade class that his favorite pastime was drinking. All right, and something else which I I would say must come from the Only in America file. Um, Well, first of all, let me cite an article in a fine local journalistic endeavor, the California Aggie article a couple, uh, I guess, last week. By Christy Perlington, noting that new vaccine for HPV, that's human papillomavirus, proven 100% effective, company says. Apparently, Merck and company, yeah, the same folks that are kind of in hot water over Vioxx, 
have uh, for 10 years been working to develop this immunization, which they're calling Gardasil, which will target the most common strain of HPV. Now, people don't really realize this, but America's number one sexually transmitted disease is HPV. Human papillomavirus uh, causes uh, genital warts and, can, and is believed to be the source of cervical cancer. So an HPV uh, vaccine is actually pretty big news. So when I caught wind of this, I was pretty excited. But um, I went on the web to do some follow-up and discovered, to my horror, the following. Article from the web, medicalnewstoday.com. Some conservatives showing support for HPV vaccine, others favoring restrictions, comma, USA. There are actually two vaccines out there. Merck has one. GlaxoSmithKline has another one. They, appear, they are very, very promising. Uh, uh, GSK, GlaxoSmith, is proposing to, to uh, vaccinate um, girls as young as 10. And, uh, and Merck is proposing that we vaccinate all 12-year-olds before they enter school. Now, I talked to some public health people about this, and they say this is really stupid because you can be sexually active. You can have a child at age 12. This ought to be a part of your routine childhood immunizations that you get by age five. This may hopefully avoid the uh, conservatives um, out there who feel that this is sending the wrong message. If we vaccinate kids, somehow in their minds, this is giving them the green light to go out and, and have sex. I don't understand this. I don't have insight into their thinking process, such as it is. But uh, this is what's getting a lot of them uh, upset, apparently. A Hal Wallace of the Physicians Consortium, which advocates abstinence until marriage, argued that, quote, if you limit your sexual behavior, you're not going to have to worry about HPV, unquote. I don't know. I don't have to belabor this one, do I? Man. Anyway, one hopes uh, that there was some optimism that uh, cooler heads will prevail and that Merck may actually have HPV vaccinations as early as next month. We certainly hope so. Another health-related item from uh, New Scientist magazine, advertisements that claim depression is caused by a chemical imbalance and that antidepressants correct it are false and should be banned, say two mental health specialists. Popular antidepressants like Prozac and Celexa block the uptake of the neurotransmitter serotonin and have been shown to be slightly better than placebo in treating depression. But low serotonin levels are no more the cause of depression than low aspirin levels are the cause of headaches, argue Jonathan Leo at Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine, that's in Brandonton, Florida, and Jeffrey Lacasse at Florida State University in Tallahassee. This was disappeared in the Public Library of Science Medicine. Said Leo, this has become an absolute mainstay of popular culture, but there's very little support for this. We really don't know what chemicals are involved. Wayne Goodman, chair of the Psychopharmacology Advisory Committee of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, admits they have a point. He calls the chemical imbalance theory a useful metaphor, but says it's never one he uses when talking to patients. I can't get myself to say that, (laughs) said Wayne Goodman chair of the Psychopharmacologic Advisory Committee. The Irish Medicines Board, the equivalent of the FDA in Ireland, recently banned GlaxoSmithKline from making similar claims in information for patient. Leo and Lacasse want the FDA to follow suit here in America, and personally, I hope they do. 
And by the way, if any of you out there are outraged at the prospect of conservatives denying a much-needed human papilloma of, of virus vaccine, um, you are encouraged to please let the government know about your feelings. Uh, the FDA licenses this. There are various committees that do so. Um, it's recommended that you let the FDA know through emails and better yet faxes or calling. And you can also let your, uh, your opinion be heard at the American Academy of Family Practice and the American Academy of Pediatrics. I think if there is a public outcry that we need this vaccine, then some of these boneheads out there may be uh, you know, forced to back off. Now, we meant to talk about this on, on last week's show, but, uh, but didn't get a chance. But I, I don't know whether you noticed the fact that Donald Rumsfeld, a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, apparently had an epiphany over the Thanksgiving weekend and came forward and said that um, he didn't think that we should be calling the fighters over in Iraq insurgents. Rumsfeld said, this is a group of people who don't merit the word insurgency, I think. This was at a, a Pentagon news conference. He... Um, he also admitted that it was an epiphany. He said, I think you can have a legitimate insurgency in a country that has popular support and has a cohesiveness and has a legitimate gripe. These people don't have a legitimate gripe. He then acknowledged that his point may not be supported by the standard definition of insurgent. He promised to look it up. This prompted a Matt Geyers of Riverside, California to write the Washington Post and say, well... The Oxford English Dictionary defines an insurgent as, quote, one who rises in revolt against constituted authority, a rebel who is not recognized as a belligerent, unquote. In Iraq, a belligerent, of course, would be the Iraqi army, whose soldiers sought to defend their homeland from the invasion of U.S. forces. Similarly, Merriam-Webster defines an insurgent as, quote, a person who revolts against civil authority or an established government, especially a rebel not recognized as a belligerent. Uh, we don't have any word yet on whether Donald Rumsfeld has looked up the word in the meantime. But apparently during that press conference, General Peter Pace, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, who was actually standing beside Rumsfeld, found it impossible to describe the fighting in Iraq without twice using the term insurgent. After it slipped out the first time, he looked sheepishly at Rumsfeld and quipped apologetically, I, I have to use the word insurgent because I can't think of a better word right now. Without missing a beat, Rumsfeld replied with a wide grin, enemies of the legitimate Iraqi government. How's that? <laughs> Interestingly, in another point in the news conference, uh, Rumsfeld and Pace had an unusual exchange in which Rumsfeld corrected his senior military advisor, only to have Pace gently insist that it was the defense secretary who was wrong. A reporter apparently asked Pace what U.S. commanders in Iraq are supposed to do if they find Iraqi forces abusing prisoners. Pace replied that if inhumane treatment is observed, it is a service member's duty to stop it. I, I don't think you mean they have an obligation to physically stop it. It's to report it, Rumsfeld said, turning to Pace replied the general, if they're physically present when inhumane treatment is taking place, sir, they have an obligation to stop it. There was an essay in the Vanity Fair of, of last month, which I'm actually it's the current issue, which I was, of course, praising several times for its numerous fine articles. One of them was a little essay on five little words. It is what it is. They noted that before the U.S. attack on Baghdad, Rummy had said, 
You can call that defense, as I do, or you can call it preemptive. But it is what it is. Curiously, it's reported that on Election Day, when George W. Bush uh, was, was informed of the early exit poll data suggesting a John Kerry win, I'm surprised, said George W. Bush, but it is what it is. All right, let's, uh, let's do some good news, shall we? We're trying to insert some good news, I think, in every program. There's some good news over from Jerusalem. Breaking from the Labor Party, he helped found nearly four de- decades ago. Israeli elder statesman Shimon Peres threw his support on Wednesday to Prime Minister Ariel Sharon in coming elections. Now, Ariel Sharon is not a guy we praised very much on this show, but uh, Sharon is apparently legitimately moving to the center as the Likud party moves to the right, and he's intending to make some concessions to the Palestinians. He's now being uh, joined by moderates of the opposite party. And of course, you know, politically, it does take a guy who's got impeccable credentials as a hawk, perhaps, to uh, to back off from a hawkish stance. Um, this is interesting stuff, what's going on over in Israel. We hope it's not all some, you know, political scam. I think we're going to try and bring uh, Gil Medavoy back on the show. Gil, of course, brings you Crossing Continents every Saturday here on KDVS and has been following what's going on very avidly and has been uh, very... Uh, uh, very informative when we've spoken to him previously. So I think we're going to have to take another look at what's going on over in Israel. But, you know, this really is, I think, we think, some some good news. Um, some further good news on the health front. It appears over in Africa that they may have finally located the animal source of the Ebola virus. Researchers working in Gabon and the Republic of Congo have identified three species of fruit bats which appear to be the long-sought-for animal reservoir of one of the deadliest known human pathogens, the Ebola virus. Uh, apparently, bats are eaten in this part of, uh, of Africa, and this may be one uh, way for them to enter into uh, contact with human beings. Some further good news. Kenneth Tomlinson, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting board leader who vowed to rid PBS of a supposed liberal bias, resigned last week after allegations he was improperly spending public money. The New York Times reported that a federal inspector general will soon be charging Tomlinson with using board money to hire people to do personal work and to exert political influence over public television and radio. Kenneth Tomlinson was a Bush administration appointee. He last year commissioned a study to monitor now with Bill Moyers for supposed anti-Bush and anti-business content. He also helped line up a five, $5 million to underwrite a conservative show, the Journal Editorial Report, and allegedly pressured PBS stations to run it. By law, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting is prohibited from exerting political influence over public radio and public television. And speaking of Bill Moyers, on the, the upcoming edition of, uh, uh, of our magazine down here uh, at KDVS, KDVations, um, we're hopefully going to have published the interview we conducted uh, last year with Bill Moyers, where he talked a bit about uh, some of the goings-on there at the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Uh, uh, yours truly put together that, that, that transcript. Hopefully Heather Klinger and other good folk here on the core staff will see to it that it gets into print Next quarter, I hope so. I really enjoyed listening to Bill Moyers once again, and hopefully you'll enjoy uh, uh, reading uh, reading that interview. And you can hear it, along with uh, most of the uh, programs we've uh, produced here at this station, at our website, radioparallax.com.
Com. I don't know. I don't get anything for this, but I do want to plug Vanity Fair again. Funny article by James Walcott in the current issue. Kill PBS over my dead Volvo. That's the title of the article. They're, they were speculating openly as to why it is conservatives see uh, PBS as a threat when, you know, <laughs> you're seeing things like uh, uh, doo-wop CDs being, being hawked, uh, you know, re- re- old re-edited um, episodes of The Lawrence Welk Show, and the thing that just drives me up the wall every time I turn on, uh, on, on Channel 6, these Britcoms, situation comedies from Great Britain, which, uh, you know, I don't know why it's thought that these are sophisticated and, and, and funny, because, you know, they speak inane lines with a British accent, you know? I mean, I don't know why they're funny. I do think that the News Hour with Jim Lehrer is really a fine show, and before that, the McNeil Lehrer News Hour was, was excellent, certainly better than anything you're getting from the other networks. But uh, James Walcott couldn't resist taking a swipe at the news at how PBS just bends over backward to be supposedly fair and balanced. They did a parody of a news story done on, uh, on uh, the News Hour on, say, cannibalism. <laughs> McNeil. Good evening. Reporters from Donner Pass indicate that survivors fed upon their companions. Tonight, should cannibalism be regulated, Jim? Robin, the debate pits two diametrically opposed sides against each other, the Human Meat Eaters Association, who favor a free market in human flesh, and the regulatory opponents in Congress, and the consumer movement. Anyway, yeah, they got their flaws, but I have to admit, uh, public television is still, you know, a bastion of sanity on, uh, you know, 500 channels with nothing on, on, on my cable network. I don't know whether any of you caught the reunion tour by Cream, which aired last week, but that was, it actually was quite enjoyable. It was a pretty good concert. I, I enjoyed seeing uh, Jack Bruce, Ginger Baker, and Eric Clapton playing together once again. <laughs> And on that note, let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and this is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento.